Kia ora koutou, and welcome to Te Kupu, or The Word, with me, your host, Christopher Von Roy. Today, on the 30th of December, 2021, thank you for joining us on episode number 16, with the incredulous and indelible Lisa Fremont. I've known Lisa for nearly two decades, and it's always an absolute treat to talk to her. We've discussed many things over the years, from religion to politics to writing, to philosophy, and she's always a wonder to listen to. She's highly intelligent, very verbal, with an incredible vocabulary, and outlandish, often, ideas that spark my cerebral fortitude to its max. So um, I love this podcast. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. And yeah, here's to 2021 being over and 2022 coming back into full effect. So, yeah, thanks for taking the time, Lisa. Yeah, she's from New York City, which we talk about. She's got an amazing substack called You Will Hate Me, which I'm going to reference in the show notes. So, yeah, without further ado, please welcome Lisa Fremont to the show. Can you hear me? Hello? Yep, I can hear you. Well, are you there? Hey, how are yes, you? Yes. Sorry, I might have to edit this beginning bit out because I had a motorcycle going in the background. Um, so I will just do a start from, can you hear me? Yes, yes. Okay. So give me three seconds and then we'll start it and then. Okay. All right. It's going from now. Hi, Lisa. Can you hear me? Hi, how are you? Good, good. I'm sorry I had to delay this podcast. I got the, the I think you guys must have had daylight savings change or something like that. No, but no, the- no. I just think it was just, it, I mean, it's fine. It, 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 but um, how was lawn, how was the lawn mowing? Lawn mowing was great. It's very hot. Today was the first proper summer day here in New Zealand. So, is it probably... winter? No, no, no. We're going. No, it's into winter summer. for us. Sorry, I mean, I'm. Yeah, exactly. it's summer for you. It's really hot here. So, um, yeah, you are in the obviously completely different climatic environment at the moment. Eh? Is it cold there? Um, I would say. Well, actually, the other day it was kind of warm, but my apartment is steaming hot so that's all that matters to me <laughs> but, is that, uh, uh, that's from natural sunlight or you've got the heater cranking it's funny you should say that but no i have the heater but then i also had a skylight that i just covered up and i actually covered it because the the sunlight was so it it, it was oppressive oppressive intense. so so uh did you read my other article about the sunlight no, I haven't. I just yet. sent it to. It's exactly about that. My next article, my Substack, is writing about my um, attempt to become a vampire. So <laughs> amazing! I can't wait. So yeah, take me through that for the listeners out there that aren't aware of you yet, Lisa. You've recently started a Substack with the great name "You Will Hate Me," 
and you chose well. a very personal topic for your first article, which became an overnight sensation, at least in my eyes. And most of the people that read it thought it was very, very funny and poignant. Do you want to take us through the experience that led to that first article and how you drafted it? Uh, sure. Um, gosh, how do you talk about this? So I have um, polycystic kidney disease, which is a chronic kidney, it's chronic kidney disease, it's a genetic um, disease that I was born with. And um, I finally reached the point where it's, um, I'm going to be needing a transplant. Which I'm probably going to find out on Friday. Hopefully, oh, I wow. have hit that. No well, I don't know. I always say that. And then I'm never at the number that I need to be at. So I figure like, you know, I like hope for the best, but expect the worst. But yeah. so I... It's a progressive disease, and it kind of got sped up when I got caught COVID a few years sorry, a few years ago. When I caught COVID a few years ago, and I went through the process of um, the transplant evaluation last year. I'm technically not listed yet, but um, I'm close. So You're on the short list. I'm on. Yeah, I mean, in in the U.S., I don't know how it works in New Zealand, but in the U.S., um, in order to be listed. You need to have um, a transplant. You need, your your kidney function needs to be at twenty percent. They call it a GFR. Ah, and, I'm not entirely sure. And well, you you know, everyone should have around hundred percent kidney function. Yeah. So when you reach that twenty percent point, things are definitely not looking good. So yeah. right now I'm at twenty two, but it bounces around. So as soon as I'm at 20, then I will be listed. But even then, I mean, you don't automatically get a kidney. Um, no. I mean, without going through the whole process of procuring a kidney, it's just, it's, you, they usually even wait until your function is around 15, because I'm trying to get a preemptive transplant. Anyway, yeah. to go back. Um, so part of the evaluation. Yeah, but let's, let's first touch upon this, because this is an interesting point as well that will probably throw a couple of people um, in terms of America always getting the bad end of the stick in terms of healthcare, there's something that Richard Nixon introduced into the American healthcare policy, which has favored your situation. Do you want to tell yeah. us about that? So it seems that the worst presidents that America has ever had are very, very um, good for people with kidney disease. And <laughs> it's true. Um, so Richard Nixon in 1972, like right as he was going to leave office, he put in a provision into Medicare. Medicare is our, um, it's the health care that's for the government paid health care for people yeah. over age 65. And he put in a provision saying that people who were either on dialysis, had end stage renal disease or were on dialysis or um, had a kidney transplant or, you know, first through the transplant itself and then the recovery, um, they would all be covered by Medicare. I mean, it's not free, free, but it's, I mean, it's pretty Won't much bankrupt free. you. No, I yeah. mean, it, it, everything's going to be covered. I mean, it, it, you know, it'll, it'll, you're, you're never, you're not going to get a bill for a million dollars, which is probably what it costs for a kidney transplant. So, yeah. um, that is the only disease besides ALS that gets covered. But amazing. Uh, yeah. So this is the disease you want, I guess. <laughs> but um, oh, man. If, if that's what, you know, if you if you want to save money, I guess kidney transplant is the best way to go. But um, <laughs> and then 
recently, it's, the other issue was that the other issue was that Trump, um, when he was, the, well, I should go back and say, one of the issues was that Medicare would only cover up to three years of transplant medications after you had yeah. after you had the transplant. And they found that people were dying after, you know, the kidney was rejecting or people were having, you know, catastrophic um, incidents. And, and, and they realized it was because people could no longer afford their, uh, their anti-rejection medication. So yeah. a bill was Faces, just signed. It reduces yeah. your immune response, doesn't it? This right. Medication. So if you don't, yeah. So if you don't have, um, so the, the immunosuppressants you need to take for the life of, that you take for the you know, the life of the transplant, hopefully your entire yeah. life. And even missing it like one time throws you into jeopardy. Like it's a serious, yeah. serious drug. So um, they just signed a bill. Well, they barely signed it, but they signed a bill into law saying that uh, Medicare would now cover your medication for the life of the transplant, which is wonderful because it's so, And that was, that was President Trump. That was Trump. Um, Lisa, I just want to say something. There's an article in there. There's 100% an article in that because I am so blown away and I guarantee you everyone listening to this will not be aware of that and will be like, wow. I love these things that change the way people think. You know, everyone thinks, oh, Richard Nixon, the worst person in the world. Trump, the worst president ever. But then, you know, you look at it from your perspective and also objectively, like, how amazing is that? And little do people know about an incredible act of yeah i mean you would call it altruism because i don't think trump suffers from polycystic kidney disease well he did the thing though is it really was it was it was a wash in the end because he tried to take get rid of everyone's um he tried to get rid of everyone's health care so it he's he's, he's, <laughs> as, he's as bad as you think um, because he was going to try and get rid of, um, he tried to repeal the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, which for people yeah, like me, like, yeah, okay, your kidney would be covered once you hit renal failure, but everything else up to that, you'd be paying for it because you would no longer have insurance to cover you if you had a pre-existing condition. So that's that wasn't I, Trump personally. That's just the Republican platform. Well, it's Anything really kind. Of, it's it's sick and deranged to try and take away um, the health care of everyone of who has a pre-existing condition in this country, and which is pretty much yeah. everyone. But Was that what Obama had signed off through Obamacare, the pre-existing conditions being covered? Wasn't that, that, that was something he championed? That bill, if anything that's happened in this country, that bill, that affordable, the Affordable Care Act has probably been, it, it has saved millions of lives millions yeah. of lives because we've been able to you wouldn't be able to get health care you wouldn't be able you wouldn't be approved for health insurance um if yeah. you had a pre-existing condition or you'd pay some outrageous amount and yeah. i mean i will say though that i live in new york i live in new york state if you're gonna all for, new york state is the best state you know these super super um democratic states in terms of in terms of uh Benefits, health care, yeah. like this is where you want to be. Yeah. But if you go into the Midwest and they don't, or, you know, states in the South, they don't want to, you know, they won't take certain, exp you know, there were certain benefits for like to expand Medicaid and they wouldn't do that. So people just That's died. decided on a state level. Wow. 
Yes. We're also about yeah. to lose Rover. We're, we're about to have a. Yeah, I know. This this country. It's, it's unbelievable. Pretty scary. What's yeah. Going and then it's unbelievable. And I mean, but that's interesting too, because you look at someone like, so our mayor of New York, Andrew, our mayor, uh, our governor, Cuomo. Cuomo. Yeah. So he was just removed, removed from office um, because of, yeah. I didn't really fall. I mean, he sexually harassed women, but yeah. so when you talk about like the two sides of somebody, he also, he knew this is coming. So like two years ago, he codified into law Roe v. Wade in New York. Um, wow. So, so what no did he knew? He, what did he know was coming that he was going to get ousted? Yeah. No, not that he was going to get ousted. That Roe v. Wade was going to get. Oh right. Return. This has been coming for a while. Like we, they. Yeah. It's so. Um, in, so that's also something that gets decided on the state level, not the federal level. Yes. Well, now it's Ro the federal yeah. level, but a lot of stuff gets. It, it's complicated so this, because you yeah. can put a lot of. You can, the states come in, you can put lots, you can, you can restrict laws like in Texas. I mean, it's just yeah. the whole thing is just sick. It's sick. I don't know. When what is that say. Supreme it's Court? Sick. When is that Supreme Court decision being made? I have no idea. No. <laughs> probably, okay. no, That's all good. no. I am not. It's like probably, it's probably not. They're discussing it. Yeah. yeah. Um, whatever's happened in our country, um, I, I don't. I can't understand it. I don't know what's going on. And uh, it's really sad. It's really sad. Yeah. And it's the right and the left. It's on both sides. Both yeah, sides. Both have gone completely wacko extreme. Yeah. And it's almost like they're both provoking each other. So one does one move even more extreme, that crazy Marjorie, whatever her name is. And then there's someone on the left who does something just as extreme. You know, they're like these polar opposites that are just like, spinning out of control at the moment and something yeah, but, needs to rein them back in again yeah but it's like lunatics running the asylum it's lunatic i mean yeah. this is our this is congress this is our government this is yeah. supposed to be a dignified um chamber i mean people have always done dirty things but yeah. nobody ever lowered themselves to screaming all over social media threatening people's lives you know spewing you know racism and anti-semitism like it's like it's it's like a high school classroom and this is our Congress. Yeah, I know. I just recently saw a clip with um, that Marjorie Thomas or whatever, and Matt Gates talking about how badly the government was treating the insurrectionists and that they weren't getting their gluten-free food and they've got celiac disease. And then the one questioner was just like, um, I didn't hear you talk about the policemen who were violently beaten up and they just stood there. They had nothing to say. Like, you do realize that these people attacked the police officers and they just, yeah, couldn't. And I, and I, was, just, I was just like, they're just basically arguing um, talking points that their base want them to talk about that they don't necessarily philosophically believe in, even though that Marjorie Thomas with her Marjorie, yeah, space. Marjorie Taylor Green. She's insane. Taylor Green, yeah. Well, this, she's the she's the space laser one. Yeah, she's the space laser one. <laughs> oh and it's like it's great for my fine lines as a Jew. I love the space laser. So uh, <laughs> points that paints you in a great light. Like yeah. you've invented a. What does the laser do? Um, it's great for um, fine lines and hyperpigmentation. I don't, so no, but um, what does she claim that these lasers do in space? 
who knows? I don't know. It causes no climate change idea. or something? Yeah, good that you don't know that. Yeah. I have no idea. I mean, we shouldn't let our brains go there. But I'll tell you something. As as a, a member of the group that she targeted, yeah, uh, that doesn't that doesn't. It's so wacky and yeah. nuts. It's not. It's not even something that I was offended by. She doesn't offend me. She's so crazy and insane. She doesn't offend me. There's nothing. I mean, you it's just, just sorry off for the her. wall. I feel yeah. sorry for her. Um, yeah. There's something insidious about her. She's just nuts. She's. It's like going. You know what it's like? It's like going to my mother's nursing home and listening to like dementia patients like scream like yeah. every horrible, racist, terrible thing you get you can imagine. Like these people are like caught like in the 40s and 50s. Like, and the some of the stuff that you will hear them yell. I mean, they're they're completely you know gone. Um, it's like, you know, they're, it's like out of like, well, where my mother grew up, which is in Atlanta in the fifties during, um, during a uh, segregation. And that's what she sounds like. She sounds like one of these wackadoodle people in my mother's nursing home screaming, um, complete insanity. It's just yeah. hard to, she doesn't, does she represent a lot of people? Sure. Yeah. It's the South. <laughs> it's the South. I mean, yeah. Because that was a story I really, I'm going to put it in the show notes so that people can click through, but just the lead up, the build up to it, because yeah, we don't, we want to do, we probably won't be able to do the writing justice verbally, but just set the story up so to get people's interests peak. You had to do a colonoscopy to get qualified for your kidney transplant. So I went through the transplant evaluation. I went through the transplant evaluation and most of the tests, they're easy. Like you do like MRA, MRI, just, you know, you go through all this psychosocial testing. Yeah. And um, so then the only hurdle for me was the colonoscopy. I never have one before. I really didn't want one. In fact, I never, I mean, I knew it was eventually going to happen in life, but like, I just prefer not to think about it. And then I had to deal with it. And I just went through this whole thing with, it just it, it involved like possibly the Russian mob and Michael Jackson and <laughs> yeah and all of these like crazy like twists and turns and even just getting the medication you had to take beforehand was an almost unbelievable. So I thought it was like a sci-fi novel when I was reading this, but it's all true. It's all true. I was like, yeah. where are you living? Like Russia. No, no, you always no. think of America as a place where you can go on any street corner, you can get whatever you want. You can buy a rocket ship or um, a bazooka. No. Yeah, or but there are other colonoscopy prep supplies in this country. It's yeah. a huge shortage. So... I think it's poly- polyethylene glycol that you take. I think that's one of the things that's inside. I did research that, which is also okay. interestingly enough in the mRNA vaccine. You're hilarious because, like, I think I call it like cow mucus and visine, and you're like, well, it's polyethylene glycol, and like you're gonna like break down, you know, like the the chemical compounds in it. I'm just like, it tastes like shit. It tastes like shit. <laughs> like, yeah, you're just uh, of what it tastes like. Put me off dinner that evening when I read it. Oh, are yeah, you really? Weird. Are you? Are you? Um, yeah. que- you get like queasy? Like, are you over this kind um, of stuff? With with saliva stuff, I do. I'm, <laughs> I'm okay with every other 
liquid that comes out. I used to analyze school samples for a living, so I don't have problems with any of that. I'm all right with blood, but there's something about saliva. I'd rather eat a bowl of shit than drink a glass of saliva, put it that way. Really? I hope no one's eating dinner whilst listening. To <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Um, no, I mean, yeah. Um, the whole thing with poop so is just, God. <laughs> Some people it. can't handle it. Yeah. Um, but so, Lisa, why did you call your substack You Will Hate Me? This is another thing that people are going to ask. Oh, so now this is like, um, you know, it's like it's like psychotherapy, like explaining like all my problems. Of course. So, um, so I'm an interesting character and I've always been an Say interesting that again. character. And um, I kind of have my own way of saying the things. and. Very outspoken. Um, yeah, you know, I think I'd be outspoken. So I, so I, I was diagnosed with pretty severe ADHD. Like I have a late in life diagnosis, and I've lived a kind of—I um, don't want to say it's not, it's not restless is the wrong word, but like a tornado in a hurricane. In a oh yeah, unmedicated. Kind of People don't realize how how scary and debilitating ADHD can be. No, it's, it's, it's crippling. And, yeah. you know, when you don't have control of a lot of things that most people have control of, um, you know, like, in a, you know, impulsivity or saying really stupid, hurtful things and not even realizing, yeah, um, you know, the impact on people and just, you know, just not being able to really listen or focus. Um, you know, it, a lot of people hate me, Chris. <laughs> a lot I know. Of people- so, okay, so that's where it comes from. But what I was going to say is your saving grace is that you're highly intelligent, Lisa, and you managed to go to Columbia. That was before you got the diagnosis, wasn't it? Yes. So that's yeah. another, so yeah, people are, people are like, well, how did you, how do you have a master's from Columbia? Yeah. How'd you graduate from, from college? And, you know, you have all these credentials Yeah. and because I wanted to be there. I wanted it. If I want it, I have no problem doing it. I yeah. do it, I, my best work. And if I'm not interested in it, like, or there are details that I w- don't want to deal with, like, I will just tune out. And yeah. and it, I don't do it on purpose. Um, it Well, I mean, it's, yeah, I don't do it on purpose. I, I It's really, it's, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of, um, focus and a lot of therapy and I'm dealing, I'm, I'm yeah. actually working with someone right now and she's trying to help me, you know, put a schedule together and yeah. it, it's like asking Is this me, a psychotherapist or? Yeah, I'm working with a counselor. psychotherapist and yeah, and just to yeah. kind of really get myself, you know, out of the rut of COVID and just yeah. getting back to a schedule and it's like it's like a caveman, like trying to understand fire. I'm like, what do you want me to do? (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, the thing is, Lisa, so now that you're on medication, like your life is going to pretty much change, which I've noticed anyway in you, I've noticed a marked change in especially the way you approached getting the sub stack out. And because I mean, you've got experience with writing, you've written a screenplay, you've written a novel, but you've never gone through the effort of getting it published and, you know, really going the whole way with it. And I think now that you've got this diagnosis, you've got 
you know how to deal with it and you know when the symptoms are coming up like now it's all gonna be like the sky's the limit for you whereas beforehand everything was a bit more difficult and you were like severely you don't want to say disabled but you were differently abled in the sense that yeah your brain worked differently and you had no you're not just i mean differently abled mentally it's a politically uh, away correct way of saying it am i saying i wasn't disabled technically I i wasn't disabled but you, you know, things are much harder. I've been, I was diagnosed yeah. six years ago. I went through um, intensive, intensive therapy with the psychiatrist who diagnosed me. And then I went through intensive therapy with another um, therapist. I was in Chicago and then I moved to New York. I mean, I, it. Yeah, that was what, interesting in itself. Your diagnosis took a while didn't it and that you've got a message for people as well who are dealing because mental health is a big thing that i talk about in this and there are people obviously listening that might have i know for a fact that there are some people listening who consider that they might have something like adhd and so your message which i think is amazing lisa is take your time with the diagnosis right absolutely take your time i mean and i say this over and over and over again, if some doctor is diagnosing you with something like ADHD in 45 minutes to an hour, run, 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 run. Nobody can diagnose something like that in an hour. And it's just, there's no way. And especially as an adult, um, as an adult, you, you, there's just too much that's happened that needs to be combed through like it took me like two months and then i went through three days of 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 uh actually adhd testing but yeah how does that work the adhd you do you do written tests and no 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 you do so so first of all i went in there and they had no idea what the hell was wrong with me and then i spent yeah. two months going through my life and I yeah. was like, well, tell me what's wrong with me and i've been misdiagnosed in the past and i have like well tell me yeah. what's wrong with me and and it was it was, it was, I was suffering and yeah. he was, it was until the end where he said, I think this is what's going on. I think you have really severe ADHD and this is what's happening. And yeah. so then I went to see a neuropsychologist. This is like the gold standard. Um, yeah. I was in a position where I was able to, you know, it's expensive in the States. I don't know what it's like around the world, but it's expensive. And I was, I was fortunate yeah. that I was able to get this testing and you basically go through a couple of days of testing where they do um they test your attention i remember thinking i did so well on the attention um you know they do this test it's called um uh the, it's called i didn't like what was going off it's That's called okay. um uh computer i completely forgot what it's called uh it's the connor's um basically test your your attention yeah um, and can you give us an example of the questions you'd have so for the connor's testing they basically give you um they basically ask you to press a button every time like a you hear a sound and they do it a lot of different ways oh wow i think they do it with pilots as well air force pilots probably it's the same thing so it's called it's a continuous performance test and 
I thought that I got all of the dots. So every time you hear hear a, like hear a, like a ding or something, then you have yeah. to press the button. I thought I aced this thing, and yeah. it turned out that I missed most of them. And holy I have, shit, so and scary. Have, yeah, and I have attention in the twelfth. My 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 ten, sustained attention is in the twelfth percentile, which is. It, it's it made for an interesting it, it, i'm an interesting person so yeah I, but um you know i'm i'm Unbelievable. i'm also but i'm also a fascinating person it's kind of i would say it's like highly gifted talking to me, talking to me is like having an acid trip and just like watching <laughs> all these different things happen and going in all these different directions that have absolutely no um that are completely disjointed yeah one thing i've noticed with you lisa is you can hold which is amazing. You can hold multiple trains of thought at the same time, which not many people can do. And I, I actually see that as a, especially for a writer, as being an incredible asset. Because writing is all about trying to connect stories, right? And you know, have you ever had it like when you read a book and then suddenly the next chapter starts and it doesn't have anything to do with the previous chapter and you're like, oh God, now a different story is happening within this story? that is something that you are capable of the way you think. So I think it's something that's going to, that works in favor of you being a, a writer. Lisa. Well, you have to read my next article. I'm writing about um, my, uh, I'm writing about my childhood and that's a lot. So of, is this after the one with the skylight turning into a vampire? Yes. That's my, it's like yeah. stories about ladders and skylights and uh, vampires. And the next one, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, you're like, I'm just like, you're like, highly I'm interesting. I'm like I'm a serious scientist that wants to get everyone back. So let me tell you about my va the vampires. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so tell me about the childhood one. I hope it's oh. is it a, a is it a good one? Or is it a funny one or does it deal with some scary stuff? Well, how no, it's hilarious. How do you think you end up with someone like me? Like my mother's exactly like me. Um, exactly like me. Actually, but, but undiagnosed. She's a, I mean and not on medication. No, she's not on medic. She was never she's, on medication. She's from the wrong generation. Yeah, but it's not their fault. It's not her fault. It's not anyone's fault. I mean, no, of course not. It is what it is, and you know. So people, you got it from your mom, not your dad. I think I also. I think my dad may have strains of it too. I just came yeah. from very weird parents. Um, yeah, you got your sense of humor from your dad. Oh, definitely from my dad. Yeah, I've got a dark sense of humor from from him, but. Dark, mom, dark and dry and Israeli. Very Israeli. Very Israeli. When I go to Israel, they're like, you're not fluent in Hebrew and you have an American accent, but it's like you're one of us. It's very, very strange to like <laughs> to talk with you. It's just, you know. It's, <laughs> Amazing. It's, yeah, it's a very dark, sort of vicious um, humor. But that's, they all, that's what they were. I mean, if you came from that background growing up there and, you know, of course. War, and that's, that's how you survive. Yeah. But yeah. so my story totally with my mother, it. my story with my, it's just, I, when I was growing up, I don't know if this is a thing in New Zealand, but have you ever heard of Eloise? You know, Eloise is, is? It a children's book. It's not really a children's book though. It was never meant for children. She the one at the hotel. Yes. So, oh, yeah, and yeah, go on. So, does Liza Minnelli feature in this story? Did I tell you about this? Did I already tell you about this? Keep, yes, yeah, yeah, 
tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. I want people to hear this. You know what? I'm just. Oh, is this what you're writing about? Amazing. What I'm writing about, and it has to do with Liza Minnelli. So, Eloise. Is there's a chip? Yeah, go on. To me, I was a very animated, irrepressible child. Um, Pretty wild and um, very, very imaginative. Very, I mean, hyperactive imagination. And I still have it today, which I I think is, you know, it's a gift. That's the gift. And I just wrote about the day that my mother gave me this book and just how it changed my life and affirmed that I should be. How old were you? I was six. And she gave me this book and she's like, and most people like we have this, this book, you know, like here's a story about a little girl. And my mother was like, we found a book and they wrote, what did she say? She said, they wrote a book about you, Lisa. I remember she came into my room. Oh she my was God. So excited. She's like, they wrote a story. They wrote a book about you. And this <laughs> girl, I, it was just like a mirror image of, of, of who I was as a kid, just this sort of really over the top, um, really over the top sort of child with very adult sensibilities. My parents were not good at um, kind of separating the adult world. No, no. I used to watch Johnny Carson, my mother at night. And um, at six, she'd smoke cigarettes at four, at four, <laughs> oh at three, I'd go down there. And, you know, you know, your parents used to, you know, cover your eyes when the scary scene came on. Like that was my mother's <laughs> like parental supervision. I just didn't have a lot of supervision. And, yeah. um, the one story that I'll share, you just, just you would understand how, like, if you imagine this today, um, I remember watching The Shining. It was on. Yeah. My, and just the most horrifying, scary movie in the world. I've watched it. Oh, it's, yeah. It's traumatizing. And then, and then I, but it, I didn't think it was that scary. I mean, it was scary, but it was Well, if you don't watch the whole thing, it's not scary, but if, if you watch bits of it, but if you watch the whole thing, it's deep. It runs deep. Yeah. Well, I went to school the next day and I told everyone the plot of the story. And <laughs> How old were you? Four. No, no older. It was, my, it was my kindergarten class. And oh my God. the teacher just sat there in <laughs> shock, like in horror, watching me tell this story. And I'm like, and then there's this guy and he's axing, he's trying to like break down a door and this woman is running and then he's, Frozen in the snow. <laughs> That's so and, good. And that was my childhood in a nutshell. So, Amazing. Yeah, I just was unsupervised. And Eloise was unsupervised. And uh, She grew up in a hotel, didn't she? She Eloise. grew up in a hotel. I grew up um, going away for Passover and getting lost in hotels. Um, Where would you go for Passover? Well... We used to, yeah, my parents, yeah, we had, we used to go away usually to California or, um, with everyone, with the kids. Oh my God. All the kids. My dad, like you, you know, there's this, who's, you know, Jim Gaffigan, he has this great joke. Yeah. He's brilliant. When I took all my kids to Disney world, I finally understood like why my father was in a bad mood for the entire vacation. And, um. (laughs) And yeah, my dad would just be in a horrible mood. Like from the day, you know, from the minute we left till we got home, he would just be in the worst mood ever. And, uh, and 
we had these wild vacations. My parents like would just go and like sit and like eat and sleep or whatever parents do. And, uh, and then we would just run around and get lost and like get dragged back by security. And probably the first time I did this, we went to the El Conquistador and I was four years old and it was just this like sprawling hotel and um, with like a funicular to get down to the lagoon. Yeah. it's just like the perfect place for like a four-year-old to get lost and i would just disappear and then i would tell everyone that my name was brenda and not lisa so like when security came looking for me they're like no we have a child named brenda and just <laughs> so good so the poor parents that would I don't, scary you know, for them my mother had you know Listen, I think of myself having children right now, like having, uh, that's a frightening prospect. And then I think someone like me had five of them and I can't even wrap my head around that. I Where are you in terms of numbers I'm of the, the kids? Oldest. I'm the second oldest. Second, second oldest. Yeah. yeah. So you had to bear responsibility from a young age as well. Absolutely not. What are you kidding me? Of course not. <laughs> no. No. At not even close. We weren't that kind of, we weren't, believe me, we weren't that kind of family. No, I was, I had free reign. I didn't, you know, I. Where do you garner, how do you garner inspiration for your stories, Lisa? So how did that one come up? You sitting there and then, yeah. And the one with the skylight. Does it just come and you're like, oh, this would make a good story. How does that process work? Do you write the notes down or do you, how do you do it? I absolutely write a list. I keep a list of everything. Um, I started, you know, I have a, I have things that go back a ways, but I have to be, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, like digitally or handwritten notes, handwritten and digitally, digitally. Yeah. My, all my handwritten stuff was thrown out during COVID when, um, I kept all my, my stuff in my mother's storage and, uh, Everything got everything got thrown out. Do you want to hear the whole horrible story, or do you want me to kind of gloss over it? Let's keep it light. Okay. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so everything is gone. But I'm just kind of like recreating my records. So sometimes that's a good thing. Yeah. Where does my inspiration come from? I don't. Yeah. Like, how do you spot a good story when it's in your head? I don't really have. A, I mean, I think. Do you think, is this going to be funny? Is this something that I would like to read? It's a, it's a really hard question. You can say that you don't have an answer to it because I would struggle to answer that question, actually. So I think there's certain things that are, I think are really interesting to talk about, which is, which is childhood or really uncomfortable yeah. things. I knew with ADHD, I know with ADHD that people don't want to talk about it. Um, yeah. there's, a real, there, there's actually a real stigma around it. And yeah, because it's like people don't really, it's not taken seriously. seriously There's something enough. like almost um, banal about it. And I, I want to, I know that there's a lot of stories with, with what it was like to go all these years without, without treatment. And yeah. And that's been, that's something that I really, you know, I've had a lot of, um, it's really been interesting to kind of like see it through the lens of, well, this is what was going on and this is why I was behaving that way. And this is what was going through my brain. And yeah. 
I think there's a lot of benefit for people. There's also benefit for people. I mean, even with your kidneys and, and things like, I mean, that's, that's also a place for, for some very interesting stories. And then I think, um, I think, I think we also right now, like there's things that like I universally hate, like porch pirates. Um, to me, porch pirates are. Can you explain what that is? Porch pirate is. Oh, so just to back someone up. Someone who steals parcels. That's what I would think from yeah, you. Someone who steals parcels. And that's something that I've been thinking about writing because there's nothing I hate more than porch pirates. I really hate porch pirates. I really, really. I can think I can think of a couple right off the bat that I think you hate more than. What, terrorism? Swiss, Swiss people. I hate Swiss people. The worst Swiss people men. Are. Swiss men. Yeah. Can I, well, a, I'm not, you know. Are we not allowed to talk about your past lovers? Sure, let's talk about it. And let's talk about, you know, and the other thing that I want to talk about is like, is, you know, well, let's talk about my past lovers and then we can talk about my future lovers. But uh, okay. yeah, it's been, it's, why don't you lead the questions on that one? I'll see where you go. <laughs> oh, no, all I remember is you telling me about one boyfriend that you had. You asked me if it was normal for that nationality for men to sit down while they were peeing. I think what's not racist to say that Swiss people sit down. <laughs> that's, I don't see definitely not racist. A racist thing to say. say I was that? just like, I was just like, if he at some point might listen to this, is he on your Facebook network? No. No, and we're not saying. Okay. I'm not saying his, I do have a. Well, come I, on, Lisa. How many Swiss men were there? I can remember it being quite idyllic. I was like this girl from New York City. It was like a, a fairy tale. Goes to Switzerland and the Alps, like Heidi with the cows and the cowbells. And I was so happy for you when you were going through that period. You just um, depressed the hell out of me. Because it was such... <laughs> it was just so depressing. Why? Because it was a depressing time? Or because no, you're like, oh, I let that guy get away. He turned out to be a bit of an asshole, though, I think. He had another girlfriend the entire time. Oh, Jesus. He had another girlfriend the entire time. So what depressed you? The fact that I brought that whole thing up? No, no, it, because, it was... I mean, I actually do write about him. He was in the book that I wrote that I just need to finish, that I'm editing, that my Narishkai yeah. book. Um, he was... Can you honestly see me living in Switzerland? Like me of all No, of course me. not. Of course no, not. No. no. I mean, I did like all the cows, though. The cows were nice. But that was really where it ended. I mean, it's the most uptight. Yeah, you um, met the family as well or something, didn't you? There was something. I met the family. You went to dinner. Uh, oh, my God. You remember this. So Yeah, I I've barely, got a good memory. So... We met sort of through, and I don't want to go go into the whole story, but like we met, and the next thing I know, he invited me to Zurich, and it was this lovely romantic um, yeah. week. And then I would go, we'd go back, just this, it would go back and forth, and like it, it's just so interesting because I look back now, and I would have like cut it off so quickly because there were so many signs, but like you just the warning so signs. Yes, so many warning signs. And you were you know, still we, young and naive. 
yeah, people, you know, you, you weren't that naive though. No, then. I was extremely naive. I was extremely naive. And he was just this awful, uptight, um, emasculated sort of guy who <laughs> not who, at the beginning though. He was charming. No, he, no, he was gross. He was gross. And he had horrible breath. He had terrible breath. And <laughs> just he was just this really uptight, um, unromantic, un just a ter just a terrible, terrible human being. Just a, a truly so terrible. So what charmed you in going to Zurich then? Honestly, you want to know the truth? Yeah. My dad has a real appreciation for Swiss watches. Like that's all it was. My dad. Oh had a really, my lord. Yeah. And he my would dad have hated had, that. Yeah, my dad had passed away a few years ago, and yeah. he loves Swiss. My dad used to go to Switzerland on business, and he used to go to um, Lugano, and I, I, I just thought to myself like my dad would really like this and my dad would really um approve oh. of this guy and he turned out to com be a complete asshole and just this terrible terrible human i mean i just remember this is not like a sob story but i just remember that you know it was right after it was right after um it was right after the, the uh, what's it called? The 2008 Econ lockdown. economic crash. Yeah. yeah. Just let go of war. Mortgage, and subprime mortgage crash. It so was, it was 13 years ago. Was that 13 years ago? Oh my gosh. Jesus. That's so long. 12 maybe. And I just remember. Um, Obama got in. Yes. And I remember that he's like, well, come move to Switzerland with me. And eventually he turned around and he just like started, I, I went to Geneva, which is where he lived. And then yeah. I, all the signs were there. All the signs were there. And I just was like, I want to be in love. I love this guy. I just want to make this work. And yeah. um, he was dating someone the entire time, the entire time. And like, I was like planning to like pick up my life and move and, I look Jesus. back and like it was obvious. It was obvious, and he was just a rude, he just, just terribly abusive. You know, he had that weird. You could see him becoming like a member of the SS. Like I could see something like that happening. And oh my god! And uh, yeah, he was a terrible person. Like I, I was planning my life on this, and he was. Dating. There was something about it as well, and you went to the border. Something with your passport. Oh, you wanted to get your passport stamped in Germany. Something like that. Is that right? Apparently, some people in Germany still don't like Jews. So, <laughs> so, so I wanted... small minority, and they're not very vocal at all. So I didn't say all people. I just said some people. And yeah. by the way, the people that I know that are German are the most like warm, lovely, and supportive, and pro-israel people now you're doing the whole yeah but i've got black friends no not really i don't think it's really the same thing <laughs> i'm joking no of course so, not so yeah, go on. But there's definitely neo-nazis still let's put it that way oh shit and yeah so Can't, i remember that. and i was so so open and like i didn't really you know i was so open to everything and i didn't really the, i didn't really think that like it was a big deal to say that to say what i said but we crossed the border and I wanted to, we were in Southern Germany and I wanted 
I went to the Schengen police and I wanted a stamp and they don't give stamps anymore. They haven't given stamps for, for years. And uh, so you, you have to go to like the little office, you know, the, the little guard. Yeah. Thing. And I went up there and like, oh, you have this, um, this German last name. Don't, you know, my real last name, you have this lovely German last <laughs> no, name. And it's such a beautiful, cause it's the name of a town in Germany. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, yes, but it's also, you know, it's, it's German, but it's a German Jewish last name. Like I wanted them. And like, I just, I, I said it as a matter yeah. as a side fact and they got really dark and angry and their <laughs> demeanor completely changed. <laughs> And from what I understand it, from what Not I understand you are Jewish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the guy that I was with, he's like, go, go sit in the car while I sort this out. Cause I mean, I was like, they may not let you into the country now. I'm like, well, nothing's changed in 70 years, but, no. but, um, oh, it's, it's a, it's an, a, a quick way to disarm German people. If really? they're not used to being around. Well, ones that aren't used to being around Jewish people. Right. I guess, so, yeah. I just didn't think it was a. I'm from New York. Like everyone's Jewish, and yeah, I've also been. Exactly. I, like I'm, I haven't been anywhere in the world. Like I've lived all. You know, I've lived in different countries. I've lived in different parts of the U.S. But I just never yeah. thought this was an issue. So it's actually changed a lot in the last like 10, 15 years in Germany. Like synagogues are out in the open. You see people wearing yarmulkes. Like you never used to see that in Germany, and now it's like, and you've got Jewish restaurants and like people it's become a lot more um included in the culture again like it was in like you know the late 19th century or early 1900s where it was like like new york city is now you know germany used to be germany used to be like that yeah of course in all parts of society it was always it was very open there was a huge jewish influence on german culture back when germans had the best philosophers best composers you know you list off the biggest philosophers and composers of the 19th century that most of them were german and during that period of time many of the mayors and the governors of the states were jewish and so there was a big jewish influence on culture in germany that's they one thing people religion. don't talk about what no no, no they, they but they were integrated they were assimilated jews they weren't you know like no you know, no no so they were like it was openly it is like i'm saying now like we're having this resurgence right so synagogues were out in the open and and this is what's happening now again it used to be like synagogues you wouldn't really see where they are and then you'd go in and now it's you can clearly see it and during Hanukkah, you've got the menorah lit up and it's, yeah. So Germany's really embraced that again. And somewhere I heard that the number one immigration spot for Jewish people in the whole world is Germany, not yeah. Israel. Yeah. yeah. But well, not, I don't think that's true. Really? Yeah. For Germany? Yeah. I know that Israelis are going and getting their citizenship because you have, you have citizenship by birth. Yeah. Um, over there so a lot of israelis are claiming citizenship and going back to to germany i mean i could technically get citizenship in hungary i'm not going yeah. back to hungary i mean for what <laughs> so, no but you no you could get an eu you'd have eu citizenship though but i can barely i mean they can't tolerate me here i don't know they're going to tolerate me over there so I just <laughs> I, I think you'd be surprised pleasantly surprised of like a city like berlin the it's, British it hate has, 
The British hate me. Yeah, the British. You, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not going to say anything about the British. But yeah, you don't want to go to England right now with Brexit and all that. Berlin is like everyone loves Berlin. Berlin and Barcelona, those are the two cities now in Europe that are flourishing. And like I was saying, like it's not Judaism is something that's like I wouldn't go so far as saying celebrated, but it's it's now is part of mainstream culture in Germany, whereas it used to be kind of underground and hidden, right? And you'll hear the German chancellor say Chag Sameach and like which so it's it, it is like Germans are progressing and they're not so I mean, of course, every German is still embarrassed about the past, but it's like now they're they're at that stage of, you know, those four stages of grief about something. And now they're at that stage where they've like recognized it and they want to move on and embrace. You know, I'm joking. Yeah, about, I'm, I'm joking about that, that I'm joking about Germany, German still not like not liking Jews. That that's a joke, obviously, in case anyone's of course. confused. Of course. But, no, but like it's it's one way to throw a German, like just tell them into their face that you're Jewish, right? That's all it's it not, takes. Well of course, because I mean you gotta put yourself in their shoes. Like if it's a German who hasn't whose only frame of reference of Jewish people is what happened and they've never met a Jewish person in their life. And then you say that they'll you know, all of this trauma will come through, you know, the stuff that they've been repressing and um, unless they're hardcore neo-Nazis and then it would be a different scenario, then they'd probably faint on the spot. But yeah, it's not, it's not like New York City, you know, where you've got literally Jewish people everywhere, right? It's like Germany is still, it's, it's slowly but surely embracing it now and it's becoming more and more part of the culture. But you go to some like, town in the middle of nowhere in Bavaria and they will never have seen a Jewish person before, right? Or someone who's who would say to them that they're Jewish, right? It's not like you, know you can these, spot them you know what these, from a mile away. You know what I found out these guards were were suspicious of? They thought that I was coming back to like claim property. <laughs> like, is she coming back here to claim property? It's like, no, I'm not here. <laughs> no. Amazing. No, Austrian Hungarian. You have every right to do that. Well, we don't have Austrian. Well, I'm Austro Hungarian. So a lot of the Austro Hungarian Jews took German last name. Or probably, I mean, we definitely have German in us, but. Did you ever check where Where your family comes from? Oh, yeah. If it's Austria or Hungary now? Well, you know, the border shifted because of the empire. But my great grandmother, um, and I, you, I, I'm going to let you say it because I'm going to be embarrassed saying it. Um, I'm just going to say it. Frauenkirchen Kirchen in Austria. Frauenkirchen. Well, I was close. Yeah. So that means where, women's church. That's where That's where my great grandmother was. I from. didn't know that. Amazing. Yeah. We're Austrian. So you, well, could, and- so you could claim Austrian citizenship then, which wouldn't be too bad because that's EU. And so when you went back to when you went to Israel on your trip a couple of years ago, did you visit Haifa? Obviously, you must have. No, we couldn't. It was on fire. They had huge fires over there. Oh it was wow! The only place we couldn't visit. So. So you have to go back again. See I where really your papa do. was born. Oh no, we've you... I've, we've seen it. I mean, they, he grew up in abject poverty. I mean, across yeah. from. Um, 
you know, he grew up across from like the Iraqi oil pipeline, which they used to have a pipeline. And then as soon as the war happened, like, they closed yeah. it down. And, you know, they they grew up with nothing. And very, you know. And he was, met your mom in Israel, didn't he? She came over for. A... So she came, went over to work in a kibbutz. Yeah. And she went over to work in a kibbutz for a year. And it was funny because I went back to visit the kibbutz and um, it was just, I'd been there before, but I went back, you know, it was just crazy. And they're so welcoming over there. They're like, let us show you the entire kibbutz. And they're like, let's show you the laundry room. Uh, it's wonderful. It's just, and it's. It, do you want to explain to people that don't really understand what the kibbutz seem, what that is? Oh, so the kibbutz system, when they came to Israel, it's it's basically, it's a commune. It's a commune yeah. where people live. It doesn't really work. exist so much anymore, does it? No, it does, but they've all, um, actually, I'm going to tell you something really interesting. They all, um, they, they're not so much, you know, that sort of like socialist. Socialist, yeah. Sort of, they've all like got into, into different industries or like. Yeah, like that's what I've heard. Agricultural products. I think Tiva, like Tiva's shoes are, are like, are, yeah, they come from kibbutz. But back then it was agriculture. And even I went to visit my mother's kibbutz. I was seven years old and this doesn't happen anymore, but they would separate the children from the parents and the, yeah. the children were being communally raised. I just remember seeing this and like, so I, cool. I, well, I thought it was, I thought it was a little, it, it, it doesn't happen now. Like in today's world, it doesn't happen, but these, this kibbutz. So I went down. So now you're about to hear a, a big circular story and I'm coming to a point. So, yeah. so maybe I should work backwards. I'm trying to think how to tell the story. So I'll start in the middle. So the great thing about like when you grew up like in my community and my background, like you go to this foreign country and suddenly you run into people that you knew growing up from anywhere. Like it, it, it just, yeah. it's a, it, that's a normal thing to happen. So I'm driving, we're driving back from a lot. We're in the middle of the desert. And I realize I'm like, Oh, this is my friend's kibbutz. And she's like, you know, someone here. And I'm like, yeah, I do. So, so it was an old, old camp counselor. It's the middle of the desert. It's kibbutz Ketura. It's a beautiful um, kibbutz. And it's in Southern, in the Southern Negev. And I was going to visit my, the camp counselor from when I was, 10 years he was my sort of like the head of like our our age group yeah I was going to visit him i hadn't seen him since i was 10 years old and i was going to visit him because he had done something for me when i was very young that helped you out so i know it oh god So we were in camp. I used to go to camp every summer and yeah. we were, in, we were in camp and we had, you know, I mean, first of all, it was the eighties and like today it's just completely crazy. And we went down to this campfire. We were all blindfolded and like holding hands. We're 10 years old. And I, and we go down to this campfire and it's like, there's an embankment and then there's, there's the lake. And Somebody got, I mean, some counselor got really, really high and then put too much <laughs> kerosene in the fire. Jesus. 
and I'm sitting there, I'm like 10 years old and, and, um, it comes like, it comes out like a, it's like, it was like sitting in the middle of like a, a the burner on a stove and then just the flame just like yeah. start race. This like blue flame starts racing at you on the ground. Yeah. And I remember I turned, you know, Shit. I mean, yeah, I've got good. I mean, I've got pretty good instincts. So I pick up and I start running. I'm like running up an embankment. And yeah. I mean, the way they, the way they, um, so nobody got hurt, but it was probably one of the most frightening, awful things that's ever happened to me in my life. And it was terrifying. And yeah. um, I remember after, you know, everybody was hysterical and some people went to the hospital and this counselor, his name was David. He, I remember I just sat in his lap and I just cried and cried and cried and cried. And the way he handled yeah. it and for everyone, I'm nobody has an issue with fire today. I mean, we all would have been just yeah. completely like neurotic and just, and have all these, you know, all these sorts of traumatic memories and just the way he handled yeah. it and the way he treated us. It's something that it was just the, it was the probably one of the best ex- examples of how to treat children and, and parent. Aww. And it came from him. Yeah. And he, how old was I, he at the time? He must have been, I know he was 26 and then I was. Wow. So not even that old. He wouldn't have been a parent either. And so. No. And he was. Amazing. Some people just have a gift. Well, it was funny because I I wanted to thank him because it was, it was just, it's something that could have been, that could have gone so wrong in years. And I spoke to him, he's like, you know, it's to hear an adult talk to another adult. He's like, yeah, I was really like, I was. You know, you couldn't tell us them, but he, you know, he was like, "Wow!" Like I was just terrified. Like a bunch of kids could have all been killed. Yeah. And uh, so I, so I knew he was at this kibbutz, and I go down to sit. Like I wanted to say thank you, and I just pull off on the side of the road, and I'm like, "Let's go." So, so with cool. my friend, yeah. So I saw him, and I just it was so good to see him, and it was just like. It was like one of that that last moment of childhood where someone treats you like a child before like you go out yeah. into the world, and um, he still talked amazing. Like, he still talked like I was in camp, and he still had that very soothing parental voice. And I'm like, this is like, it was just wonderful to speak with him and to see him. And then he took uh, us on and he would have been what in his sixties or something. I think he probably was in. A, he's probably in his late fifties. I just really admire yeah. and respect him. And he's raised his That's family. So there. amazing. He would have loved. He would have loved the fact that you came and talked to him and remembered and just, it. No, and I mean he 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 remembered me. He's like you were very. You know you you were. He's just like you were always. In, you were a very animated, like emotional kid. Yeah. And um. So we're so now I'm going to get to the non personal part of the story so we're going around and he's showing us the kibbutz and he's got he's just such a brilliant guy and he's showing us the kibbutz and they produce dates and then yeah. they have the araba center where um they work it's like a you would actually be interested in this um the araba uh biotech Arava, no the araba institute yeah. and they do things with they. You have Arava Institute for Environmental Studies, and I know they study algae. Wow. I wasn't, I wasn't paying that close attention, but I know they do something with algae. 
then yeah. he shows me then there's fields and fields and fields of solar panels just everywhere solar panels yeah and he's like this is like the kibbutz's solar panel project and wow. i didn't think anything of it and so i was watching the news like last year two years ago and i'm seeing like this solar field panel they've been nominated for the guy they were nominated for like a nobel prize the guy wow. one of the kibbutz members runs this like solar energy company and he brought it to africa and amazing yeah so that's how we went from camp to a nobel prize <laughs> and well yeah explaining how the whole kibbutz system works one of my closest friends here in golden bay where i live this tiny little town in the remotest area of the south island of new zealand he grew up on a kibbutz and he is just the loveliest man ever um, you can, you can, you can just tell, like he grew up, you know, sharing and he just, like you said, it was like communally raised, everyone parented everyone. And he's so generous and so like, yeah, generous of spirit. He hardly ever smiles, but I always say his name's Shauli. And when I always say, whenever he smiles, it's like the universe is smiling because you know how people can be fake and smile and laugh and, and it's not real. With him, he's such a genuine human being. Like when you were telling me about this Dave, that's who I had in my mind was Shaoli. Like, and his last name is Ezroni as well, which in Hebrew means helper. And he has literally, like when I went through my psychosis last year, it was Shaoli who helped me out. He stopped the police from taking me in. He is, yeah, he's been my guardian angel ever since I've been living here. And his wife, Maytal. Yeah. So I have two anyway, questions for you. I have two questions yeah. for you. First of all, to have an Israeli stop the police, like that's probably your best, the best person to have. Yeah, for I know, I know. He didn't even look at them. And this is, I can still remember, even though I was going through the thing, he was just like, nah, he was like, and the police didn't know what to do. He like turned around, went back to his car. So amazing, man. Like, So oh. how did he end up in New Zealand? So he, he's a, he was a dairy farmer in, um, uh, on the kibbutz where I don't know where I think in the Galileo he was or something and so he just he's been everywhere he's been, he lived in Chicago for a while he traveled around the world like some Israelis do when they leave the military they loved it and came to this town in particular Takaka and was a dairy farmer and he's been here yeah for 16 years and just got his he's now a New Zealand citizen right so he's got but well he's got Israeli and because you can't give up your Israeli citizenship, which I never knew. Um, and no, and both his kids had to get Israeli citizenship as well. Oh, um, cause, well. Well, because his wife is Israeli, Meta, and they've still got family there. And so for them to be able to go and visit the family, yeah. So just um, do what my dad did was get, a, which is just get on a separate line whenever we went through the airport. It's, it's I, I right. have a. I have a phobia now and they always, the last time I went through security, like nobody wants me in the army anymore. Like I'm too old and I still go through there and they're like, well, where's your father from? And I was like, I can't even like, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. And it happened a couple of years ago when yeah. to, we came, left Israel and I just had this, I, I couldn't speak. And they're like, well, here's a terrorist. Definitely. <laughs> and, <laughs> was this when you were visiting the last time? The last time when we were leaving the country, it's like coming into Israel is not 
hard, but leaving the security is just like, you know, they have like a security, like a mile out from the airport. It's just, it's, just, it's, it's secure. So yeah, they're looking for your body understandably. language. Yeah. Yeah. So they're looking at your body language and me, like my body language says, um, I don't want them to find out that my dad's Israeli because they're going to <laughs> get a passport. <laughs> they're going to keep me here. And Make me go to the military. Yeah, they're like asking us. They're asking us like, where where did you stay? I'm like, I forgot. <laughs> like, I <don't> <laughs> That's what you said to them. Amazing. I, I like, I'm with my friend and she's like, Lisa, we stayed at your cousin Adina's and this is her last name. And I'm just, I, I just, I had this whole, um, I had, I just, I'm the, it, it, it would be suspicious to me. So of course they like, you get some like tag number. And I remember I had all my stuff with me and they're like, we're going to check your luggage, you know, which is, we're going to go through everything and make sure you don't have a bomb. So yeah, I was like, that, you know, my check on luggage. And I looked at him and I was like, you, t-, I'm like, you're going to do it for me for free. And he's like, yep. I'm like, take it. I don't want to carry it. I don't want to see it. And you promise it's not going to get lost. Because I promise, I go, can we say a bracha on it, which is yeah. a prayer? And I'm like, Baruch Atad and I, like doing a whole prayer. Yeah. And then he, they just realized that I was crazy. And I had no problem <laughs> getting through the rest of the airport. No, they're like, okay, she's just nuts. So, but then my friend so who was funny. with me, she didn't want, she had packed her stuff really carefully. So she didn't want to give her backpack to them yeah. or whatever she, and so then she barely made the flight. So... Amazing. But, um, this is le- this yeah. was leaving. This is leaving. Going, yeah. um, coming in was no problem. That was wasn't like, a problem. Well, you take the Christian flight. I call it the Christian flight, which is you take it. The flying to Israel. I mean, I don't care how this sounds. But like flying to Israel, like on El Al. Yeah, it's like it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. I would <laughs> never. It's, it's exactly what you think it's going to be, but worse. And it's just loud and like the plane smells like people's tuna fish sandwiches and like there's people, you know, there's like Hasidic Jews like standing in the aisles and it's a nightmare. <laughs> it's so trick, funny. The trick to it, well, I mean, if you're religious, you, you're, you don't have a choice here. But if you take the Christian flight on a Friday night, it's dead silent. It's only like, it's like Christian Zionists from like Wyoming on the flight. Nobody talks. And you can sleep so all the funny. way there. You can sleep all the way there. And then, like, so good. And then you get into the airport on, on Saturday. No one's in the airport. It's the, the best. insider tips to traveling to Israel. Lisa. Friday night. And then my relatives were like, you flew on Shabbat. I'm like, well, I slept the entire time. So technically I rested on Shabbat. <laughs> I'm not religious the, at all. The pilot yeah. was, wasn't. Um, Let me ask you something. Yeah. Let me ask you something. Can I turn this around and ask you a question? You can ask me one question. Just one? <laughs> okay. No. I was going to wrap this up because I actually have to get going, but you should ask me a question. I was going to say anyway, I'd love to have you back on again before we change seasons again, if you've got time. Oh, definitely. Maybe- Maybe not next week, but the week after would be great. We can continue oh, this it. conversation. What was your question? Well, it's kind of a big question. I just okay. want to know how you felt comfortable talking about, you know, what happened last year and psycho- having a, you know, undergoing this terrible experience with psychosis. Yeah. How you decided to be comfortable with that. That's a really My- big 
topic. But. Yeah, so I, it's got a really easy answer. When I got out, like, the first thing I did when I came back home was I just Googled everything there was about psychosis, right? I, I watched every TED Talk. I watched every, read every paper ever written on it. Um, and I spoke with my sister about it. And I was like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Like, I live in a small town, Lisa. Everyone knew what had happened. So going to the supermarket and little things. Like, I didn't leave the house much. I was just like... I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I mean, no one saw me except for the farmers. Like I ran across the cow field and I got stuck in an electric fence. Like that was it. Um, and scary for people to witness, like my neighbor running alongside, seeing it all and me screaming to the heavens. Like, um, but I spoke with my older sister in Berlin, Francoise, and she said, you know what, Chris, you should, after I told her, I was like, oh my God, I had to, basically consume everything there was written about psychosis to understand if I could. And what made me really calm was reading about other people's experience and going like, oh yeah, that, that was the same with me. And my sister was like, you should use this and you should be open and tell everyone if anyone asks you what happened. And so that's why I recorded that podcast and everyone, and I've had so many people come up to me and say, thank you. And they've shared it with people who are clinically depressed and, I had, funnily enough, another guy in my football club had went through a psychosis a couple of weeks after I did, and I had, and I told his wife that he should come and talk to me, and he eventually did, and so being open about it, I've gone past the point of being paranoid and scared of being labeled or losing potential jobs or anything. Um, I've only had a positive experience with being vocal about it. And yeah, and I encourage everyone just like you, like I'm so happy that you were um, willing and able to talk about ADHD because I know people listening to this, it, it'll mean something to them, Lisa. And it's, it takes courage and it takes I'm people like you and I to do these things, you know? And I think that's one of the reasons we're here, Lisa no matter how much shit we went through to get to where we are. But I think more realize they just somehow never talk about it and, you know, suffer as a result, you know, because if you hold the stuff in, it, it never, it doesn't go away. Right. So you might, by talking about it, I found I, you almost, you release it a little bit. Um, well, it's, you really inspired me move ahead and, and talk about it. Oh, I, I love that, Lisa. You really did, Chris. And I mean, or Christopher, I know you don't like to be called Chris, Christopher. <laughs> or I call you CVR. I just call you CVR. But yeah. um, I, uh, you, you gave me a lot of courage. I was just, you know, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Yeah. Like, you But it like shouldn't you know, be. It's not your fault, right? No, but like you want to reach certain milestones and like maybe you haven't, you know, you haven't reached them in a way that you want to. And it's like, yeah, you know, you, you really grow up in like the mindset of your parents, which was that, that mental health and these things are, are, are moral stain on, on who you yeah. are. But, uh, I just, I remember I was, you, and I was talking to my, um, my brother, my, yeah. my most precious brother 
And I told him like, I'm scared. Like if I talk about these things and like, I'm, you know, he, I'm going to be judged. I'm going to be judged and I'm going to be judged. And I remember he, he so he's like, Lisa, fuck them. Fuck them all. Nice. They don't nice. matter. Don't, exactly. they don't matter. And yeah. you know, the way he said it, he was just like, it, it, you and him, both of you, the way he gave me a lot of courage and I'll just never Amazing. forget. He's like, Lisa, trust me, they're their own, whoever, whoever is watching you, their own lives are so miserable and fucked up. Exactly. Anyway. Well, the ones that need to judge you for that, right? Their lives are so. just, yeah. Well, I love the, the thing that I always hark back to is those who matter don't mind and those who mind don't matter, right? So you just, that's what you got to think about. So the people yeah, that are close to you that will, that will mean something to you are the ones who don't mind, right? Oh, and the one and and yeah well that's the thing with me as well like it really showed who my friends were I, like it, it 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 cut that thin line between friendship and family like in two like Maytal and Shaoli they I wouldn't be alive without them let's put it that way so I owe them my existence and and for and this is the weirdest thing when I met I met Maytal first that like, we were working together um at a company um, out in Collingwood. There's one company in Golden Bay that makes like supplements, like vitamin C and all that stuff and ships it around New Zealand. And Maytal was working in customer service and I was writing all the blog articles and doing the marketing. And I met her and I instantly clicked with her. It was like this sisterly, like we had in a, in a different life, we'd been brother and sister. It was bizarre. And she, tough Israeli woman like had learned you know she was a tank commander in the military and like learned how to deal with um being a counselor and so that's one thing that she was always like whenever you need someone to talk to um and so it was something and you know when you meet people and you've just got this like this there's a bridge that connects you to them and suddenly you're just you're caught you're entangled. I don't know. I call it quantum entanglement. It's and, um no, there's certain yeah. people that and you're just drawn to them. It's very rare though. And I think as we get older and we get more um um I don't want to say just we, we have more experience and like you yeah. know, you you've been stabbed in the back. Um yeah. or people have betrayed you. And I think you can really go inward. And the only reason I would say I think and I'll, I'll wrap it up here. But I mean, I think, you know, I went back to Chicago a few weeks ago. I've lived in Chicago for about three years. And it's a very, yeah. it's actually where I got diagnosed. And yeah. um, it's a completely different world over there. I mean, people, I mean, it's, it's a city. I mean, it's not like, you know, country bumpkin land, but people are, you know, people want to meet you and talk to you. And like, there's no yeah. ulterior motive. There's no, nothing else going on. And I met my best friend there. We lived together. Yeah. And this person, uh, I I never had anyone in my life that showed me this kind of kindness and patience. Aww. And I don't think that I would, you know, be where I where I'm at right now um, if it weren't for somebody, you know, going to Chicago and for meeting somebody who was like, you are 
amazing. You're great just the way you are. And yeah. there's nothing like, I think you're the m most funniest, most entertaining, most wonderful person. And yeah. I mean, you just need that one little bit of kindness in someone who's in your corner and sees yeah. you for who you are. And it sounds like you got that when you were with your, um, yeah. is it Shaul? Shaul and Shaul and Metal. Yeah. So. Did they meet? Wait, did they meet in Israel or? No, they met in New Zealand. So really? that's another whole crazy story. Yeah. So she came and she was traveling because this is a place where a lot of travelers come and we get a lot of Israelis as well who come through here and just, you know, okay. spend the summer here and, you know, work here. And well, no, and they met and Shaoli took her out to dinner on her birthday. And then, yeah, she fell in love with them. And then. He asked her to marry him on Farewell Spit, which is a beautiful, large sand spit, the second largest sand spit in the world that curls around Golden Bay, giving it the name. And then I took care of their cats and their house when they went to Israel to have their wedding. You're going to come to Israel, Chris. You're definitely oh, man. Yeah, I can't wait. I need to find my passport first. <laughs> Right, well, anyway, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. the next. I forgot but, um, that we're still on air. You no, should be so, doing this. Well, you should be. You, wrap, you said you're going to wrap it up. So you have some okay. last wisdoms for this. We're going to have a continuation talk. Yeah, we're going to. Anyway, so I'm going to put your the link to your Substack in the show notes, and I think you're setting up an Instagram for that as well. So I'll put the yeah. for your you will hate me. So I'll put the link to that. So Thanks so much for taking the time, Lisa. That's yeah. You're amazing, Chris. For you're just just the most Same. amazing, wonderful, inspiring person. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. I yeah. want to discuss what the hell this Weta bug is that you have over there, and <laughs> we'll what's do that, that next about. Time. And it's an incredible creature. Yeah. It's horrifying. Wait, are they it's everywhere? from a different. It's from a different. Nah, nah, they're not everywhere. They are here in the South Island where I am. I see them. But like every, you're not gonna like see one in your then. house. Like it's not. No, I woke up with one on my forehead once. But like, it's this real sign of um, good fortune. Like in Maori, it's like they're spirits that are in them. They're from a different world. They're from a Jurassic Park back when dinosaurs were around. They're a very, very old species of insect. You're um, such a good representative of the New Zealand for New Zealand tourism. <laughs> thank you very much. Did you hear that? New Zealand tourist board. You, yeah, they can sponsor here. my podcast. Come here and you can have a huge bug on your head as part of the... Uh... <laughs> Let me... and Kapai for sticking around to the end of Tekupu number 16 with the amazing Lisa Vermont. I think you guys enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed having the podcast and conversation with her. She's incredibly entertaining and yeah, her substack is called You Will Hate Me. Um, I'm going to reference it in the show notes so please click on that and subscribe and Lisa's got a bunch of other incredible articles coming out including her book Nagashkeit which is set to be published hopefully by the end of 2022 if she manages to get the whole edits together so yeah big shout out to lisa for taking the time thanks for running us out 
of the year 2021 with this beautiful podcast that I'm sure everyone's going to enjoy. Um, big shout out to New York City from New Zealand. And yeah, I'm going to be interviewing Dave Cohen over in Los Angeles next. And that's going to be our first podcast for the new year, 2022. So big shout out to everyone. Much love. Have fun celebrating the new year and take care of each other and love each other much. Big hugs, everyone, and see you next year. You!